I was from birth born into a situation where I had no choice. I didn't really have a father. Uh, my mother was very young and she wasn't there in the beginning. I had the option of looking at my circumstances and giving up because they weren't that good. But for some reason, I hung in there. And by hanging in there, it, I developed an attitude about success that was unbelievable. Welcome to an all-new season of Suiting Up Podcast. I am your host, professional athlete, and co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League, Paul Rabel. And our first guest of the 2019 season happens to be one of the greatest athletes of all time. Yes, a GOAT, Jim Brown. Jim's won basically every award there is to win in high school, college, and professional football. I mean, all-time yards in a season, all-purpose, career, touchdowns, MVPs, you name it. He's also a Hall of Fame lacrosse player, having graduated as a midfielder from Syracuse University. We go back and forth on the rivalry between Cuse and Hopkins. He also famously said, at least if he could, he would play lacrosse six days a week and football on the 7th. He went to the NFL because there was no PLL at the time, which I suspect had he graduated from Syracuse in 2018, he would have been the number one overall draft pick in playing on NBC right now. I digress. On the show, we discuss how he elevated, though, from a college football halfback to an NFL MVP in a short 16 months, which includes the discussion around his meticulous training regimen and mental preparation routine, which he attributes greatly to intelligence and how he has changed his life into giving back to society, which in 2014, he was awarded the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Lifetime Achievement Award for what he's done in the community to encourage social equalities. Jim began his work during the civil rights movement when he was still playing in the NFL and has since created programs and initiatives focused on inner city job growth and post-incarceration opportunities. We talk about all those opportunities and initiatives on the show. I'm grateful for the opportunity with Jim and want to thank his wife, Monique, and the rest of his family for making the time to not only come on the show, but support the PLL as Jim's an advisor of the business. And we recently named our most valuable player award annually after him, now called the Jim Brown Award. Enjoy the show. You've been a mentor to so many. You've been a business person. You've been a social activist. And, and that's not acknowledging all the records you set on the football field and the NFL and beyond. So I appreciate you sitting down. Well, I appreciate that uh, introduction. But uh, let me make something real clear. I'm not claiming to be anything, you know. I mean, I'm just a guy that have been able to play, enjoy the game. But maybe to see other players that had skills that I admired. So there is a team of us out there that uh, we don't talk about who's the greatest. We talk about the great things that we all have done. Yeah. So I just don't want to put any uh, tab on myself. You're trying to pretend that I'm the best thing that ever came down the sidewalk because the things that I do, I don't ever want to, want to take that away from me. But then the things that I see others do, I can easily give them praise because sometimes they do things that I don't think I could do. Do you think, or is one of those characteristics that you share amongst your peer group humility? Because when we walked in here, we were thinking about where to, to have this conversation and we're in your wonderful home here in, in uh, LA. 
And one of the things that we asked your wife, Monique, was, uh, you know, where does Jim keep all of these trophies? And she says he doesn't keep them out. Um, and that's a shared characteristic of, of a lot of the top athletes in the world is you won't see these extravagant trophy rooms. So how, how, where did your humility come from? A reality of, uh, of being a, a, a appreciative of those who had helped me and those who I had observed. And uh, it would be selfish for a football player and a lacrosse player to think that they play every position. Hmm. There's a thing called team, and you have to become a part of a team to truly be successful in team sports. Hmm. So, and then a lot of times you do something that's really fantastic, but it's very low key. And the media doesn't recognize it, most of the fans don't recognize it, but maybe one or two key people in your life recognize it. And those moments are shared by just a few people that can see greatness on a small level. And so a lot of times, you know, uh, it, it goes either way. So I uh, try to be humble and recognize the good things in me, recognize the things I have to work on, but also to uh, appreciate others and the skills that they have, you know. And, uh, and it's not trying to be humble for the sake of being humble. It's just that, you know, I uh, take great pride in the things that I know that were really good. And uh, the things that were not so good, we don't talk about them. Hmm. <laughs> when uh, you're talking, yeah, the, the, the reference in, in false humility that, that we see out there a lot, how would you as a leader in the locker room or as a professional in business or what you're doing, uh, for so many people in the community, how do you show that type of affection to others and saying, hey, you're doing a good job? Do you have any specific way you go about rewarding, especially those athletes that, that make those plays that don't show up on the stat sheet, as you referenced? Well, you see, the details of uh, excellence, it shows that you can recognize things that other people don't recognize and when you see a player that's on special teams and a second string player, but he does something great, you encourage that, you know, because you might need that next week. Yeah. You encourage small things because in a team sport, the small things sometimes allow you to have victory. Yeah. And to be able to recognize that and encourage individuals, it makes your team stronger. So teams are not just made up of stars, they're made up of dedicated individuals that are motivated to do the best they can do. And so I've, I've in my mind, you know, I've, I have a lot of people that I love, you know, in football and lacrosse and basketball. I, I, I see the greatness in them, and then I see the neglect that goes on among the media because the media wants the scores and the assists maybe. Yeah. But then they don't see the other things that are very valuable. So you, you started your uh, early childhood in Georgia, and then you moved to Long Island when you were eight. 
where you were playing football, basketball, lacrosse, baseball, <laughs> track and field. So track and field is the only individual sport. Well, at, at, in, in, in some way, an individual sport. You do have to, if, if, especially at the university level and, and the international level, you're part of a larger team depending on the event. But played a ton of sports, and you've four-time lettered in, in at Syracuse as well. Do you you see probably a lot of, especially in like the modern culture of sports, a lot of privatization and then a lot of sports specialty where a kid plays one sport and they try to get as good at that sport as possible as quickly as they can so they can get recruited. How much value do you, do you see the person that you've turned in, the athlete you became, especially so quickly in the NFL, to playing so many different sports when you were younger? Oh, I love sports. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I used to practice in my backyard. All the up time. Against, up, all, up against the garage door. Yeah. Uh, I used to sprint down the street to work on my speed, acceleration, cutting ability. Uh, I just loved it. And I did it uh, not necessarily to be on uh, in front of anybody. It was just for my own satisfaction to be better at all of those different sports. And uh, most things people don't know, I was a, a decathlete. That's right. Yeah, that's 10 events. And you were nationally ranked. Uh, yeah, well, I was, I was fifth, you know. Yeah. But for me at the time, I was just a high school, a senior in high school. Uh, that was pretty good, you know, and, and I always remember it. But I'm the only one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody else knows well, you, uh, that, that I was a decathlete, you know. And then you had the Yankees coming after you, too, in high school. Yeah, you know, I could have played baseball, but I didn't like baseball that much. It was a little too slow for me. <laughs> <laughs> and what about, what about your relationship to lacrosse? Why, why was lacrosse uh, such a, a, a sport of passion for you? Well, back in those days, you know, we played sports more or less because we liked sports. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't too much going on professionally. The lacrosse profession wasn't there. Yeah. Professional uh, sports wasn't there. And uh, I loved those sports that gave me skills that I could work on and become better at. And in lacrosse, you know, if you can handle that stick... You can get as good as you want to get. That's right. You, know, <laughs> you can practice all night. You know, my son practices against the garage door. Yeah. You know, I hear him out there and hit a ball in the door at night. And uh, I could, you know, practice my track, my, my sprints, my starts, uh, my finishes. Uh, I was just a lover of sports. Yeah. And uh, that's what I did. And then after a while, they said you have to kind of specialize. So this, this, me specializing was to go and maybe concentrate on football. Hmm. But I love lacrosse, I love basketball, love track and field. Yeah. And uh, when I was alone, I would practice all sorts of things to put myself in a situation where I would have to be good to get out of it, you know, and did a lot of pretending. But uh, sports was just a part of my life, a big part of my life. Practice scene when you're talking about pretending, would you mean like envisioning a defender here and a goalie there? Because it's like just like football and even basketball degree. When I grew up playing basketball, I would always kind of pretend that last second fadeaway shot in my driveway. Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what you're talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. How many hours a day would you practice when you were younger? Oh, man, I, I, I couldn't measure the times that uh, 
I was practicing. I thought about it. I visualized it. Uh, I was a student of the game in most cases because I, I, I knew the history of lacrosse. Hmm. Very few people knew the history of lacrosse. You know, it's a tremendous history. Uh, you know the history, of course. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, and you're uh, close with Orrin Lyons and oh, yes. a lot yeah. of the Native uh, Americans. Chief but... Lyons, you know, and uh, box lacrosse. Yep. And uh, so I came up with all of those uh, particular skills. Well, the knowledge was fantastic, but to develop the skills with that stick and those moves that you have to make. And you can use both hands. Yeah, I've, seen, I've, I've seen those split dodges and those roll dodges where you took it from right hand to left yeah, hand. Yeah, you always hope to be a lefty. <laughs> that you can get it righty lefty, but uh, I was big, you know, and I went pretty fast. And yeah. it was a great sport for me to express myself. Hmm. But my backyard saw a lot of those bounce passes. You know, I had to develop an underhand shot. That's right. You know, and. Uh, one of the first to really perfect it. I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> I, I loved it, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I used it too much. <laughs> but uh, it was a great game, game for you to express yourself if you wanted to become really good because that stick work that you have to develop, you know, that's, uh, that will separate individuals. Yeah because you can get as good with it as you want to. And when you take a, a powerful athlete with a great stick, uh, that, that's like a lethal combination like you have with LeBron James with his athleticism and his yeah. ability to, to shoot, or Absolutely. Kevin Durant with that Absolutely. shooting. Absolutely. That's the whole total package. And, uh, man, it's like LeBron, both those individuals you mentioned, they uh, possess the height, you know, the brawn, they're, they're smart. Uh, they have the finesse. Yep. You know, they're really uh, what you could be if nature made you as big as them. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But it, it is, you know, you have a lot of big athletes that ultimately uh, that don't have the finesse, and that is a skill. You mentioned it when we first started that you identify certain skills. We went to soft skills first and humility, but what are with, with athletes in the NBA and the NFL or uh, lacrosse athletes that you see, and I know you, you help out with the Touraton Award in a number of different ways at the high school level all the way through college. What are some of those hard skills that you see in, in an athlete? Is it their ability to cut quickly? Is it hand-eye coordination? Well, as you know, what I think of a lot is the running ability, the knowing how to utilize your quickness and your speed. I always think of uh, how do you use acceleration? Hmm. Can you truly uh, accelerate at the proper time and can you use that to separate? And uh, that if you can't do that, you're gonna create a good assist or a good score. Yeah. But if you don't, under if, even if you're fast and don't understand how to separate with the speed, you're not gonna get the same kind of results. But uh, I was big, but I was fast and uh, quick. And I didn't, I didn't go to the size first. 
I went to everything else before I even went to size. And everything else meant quickness, that acceleration of that speed. And what makes that work is that you must be in condition. Hmm. Yeah, because if you're, if you're sucking wind, you can't you accelerate. Can't, you can't. All the skills go out the window to a certain degree. So the thing is to be in top condition so that when you take off on the cross field, you know, that's quite a few yards you have to run to uh, make get that fast break. So I uh, am conscious of not being a big guy or a strong guy, but being a skilled individual that understood how to create separation, how to create dodges that make sense, uh, and how to take advantage of a game that allows you to uh, whack a guy across the arms. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a lot more free-flowing than football. In football, you reset every play in lacrosse. Yeah. Plays run, and you then keep, the action lives. Yeah, you keep going. And uh, it's a rare sport that can create those kind of, that kind of combination of skills and uh, allow a guy 160 pounds to uh, have a great game. Yeah. If he can move, move that stick to attack, those are young, you know, those uh, attack guys can uh, that can really handle that stick, boy, they're tough around in that. Yeah, it's actually in the direction that we're seeing hockey go when they uh, scaled back fighting um, and they also uh, alleviated the, the jersey grabbing. Yeah. They made it a more skillful, fast-paced game. We're seeing smaller hockey players as a result. Um, and so lacrosse has, has been there because I think the, the rules have always been in place to where you can't just like grab onto someone's yeah. jersey with your free hand. But uh, for a long time, it was size uh, matters less in a sport that's hand-eye coordination, stick ball. Yeah. Uh, but certainly when you have someone like yourself come in with that athleticism and the skill, then that's how you dominate a game. One of today's show sponsors is Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you and I both see the world. And they started with a perfect suitcase. And they offer a range of essentials that solve real travel problems, like having agile and fast wheels to get through the airport, easy compartments to pack, a charging port, and personally, I think they look really good. A couple of their suitcases, the carry-on and the bigger carry-on. Everyone has a different travel style. But both of those come in an array of colors, two sizes, and two materials. Here's more. They both fit into an overhead bin when you're at the airport. They're lightweight. They have a durable shell that's made to last for a lifetime of travel. More on that coming soon. And they're both TSA approved. Here are more key features. Suitcases are designed to last a lifetime. That means there's a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. And they have standout customer service team that will arrange to have it fixed or replaced ASAP if you're having issues even beyond that trial period. There's free shipping on an away order within the contiguous U.S., Europe, and Australia. My personal experience, I've had an away luggage for several years now. I love the founders and their mission. And frankly, it's helped me get from one place to another, probably to another, to another. Yep, I was on the road for four weeks. Just this past week, I got back to L.A., and if you need proof, watch my YouTube channel. I'm typically rolling in away luggage. 
Now, here's a special offer to listeners of my show. For $20 off your suitcase, visit awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel. That's R-A-B-I-L. And use promo code Rabel during checkout. That's $20 off a suitcase, awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel. And use promo code R-A-B-I-L. Um, you went to Syracuse and you mentioned this like conditioning and uh, your ability to then uh, change, I think. You, you really, using your word, really accelerated uh, into the back half of your career at Syracuse in both lacrosse basketball um, and football. But then when you entered the NFL, your rookie year, you set a rushing uh, uh, game record. And then your second year in the league, your MVP set uh, a season rushing record. That, that, was, that doesn't happen very often, if at all. Uh, at that quickly. So was there something that just clicked for you or did you fully develop? Well, there's a thing called uh, intelligence. Mm. And uh, it plays a big part mm. in, in uh, life. And there are things out there to be recognized and to be respected. And if you're intelligent, you can do that. And uh, you can take the shorter cut to get to from one spot to another. If you're intelligent, if you're not intelligent, you take the long way around. And it's, it's slow and it doesn't have to be slow. So you analyze a lot of things. You come home and you don't shut up the fact of the game. You come home and you study what went down. Hmm. And so I would say that the, the, the hard work that you put in utilizes your mind pays off tremendously. And it's not bragging about being smart or not being smart, but the intelligence has to be applied to the game. Yeah. Your productivity has to be intelligent productivity. It can't just be you're running all over the damn field. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know uh, Coach Belichick, well, he's a friend of yours, and um, we share that in common. He's been on this podcast, and he's told me a, a number of times that you could take a uh, you know an an all American from Yale who's uh, graduated top of his class and put him on the line um, next to someone who struggled at say the University of Michigan or Cincinnati put that person on the line but that person have far greater football IQ than necessarily a standardized test score at an Ivy League institution so. Coach Belichick would always say, and he, he used Lawrence Taylor as an example, that he had incredible football IQ and field yeah. awareness and sense of how to manipulate a game competitively and so on. So um, I, I'm, I'm aligned with you on, on intelligence and all the dimensions yeah. that, that, uh, that it takes place at, on the field. You studied a lot of tape. How else did you prepare for games? Did you have anything that you would do in a locker room, any ritual? that would get you ready? I know one of your famous quotes is, uh, if someone were to tackle you, you'd make sure they felt it. Um, <laughs> so was, I'm sure you had, to get, you had to get hyped. Well, the thing is, uh, my preparation, uh, you know, I was sort of superstitious, so I did pretty much the same thing before every game. Uh. Pretty much, whatever that was. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I always wanted to be prepared understanding something that uh, could pass me up if I didn't really 
talk to the coach about a particular point that I wasn't clear on and for him to clarify it for me. So I wasn't afraid to uh, ask for clarification of a particular kind of point because if you're playing with, uh, with lacrosse as a team sport and you're physically fast and strong and all of that, and you just that's all you use, and you're not thinking of the other players or the other situations. You're not going to be really uh, a guy that's getting the kind of results that he should get. But if you pay attention and and you inquire on something you you uh, don't understand, you can be a much better player. And sometimes you might sacrifice the individual effort to deal from a team standpoint. And to you came home to your your lady, and she said, "Well, you didn't do the same thing this week. Well, no, I didn't do the same thing, but it was more effective." Yeah, <laughs> what I did <laughs> because you see those three goals this guy's going. Well, I had two assists on that particular play, right. uh, you know, on that particular set of circumstances. So it isn't always what the people in in the audience hmm. see. It's how you study the game, study situations, relate to your coach. If you've got a great coach, like when you say Belichick, Belichick is a great human being and a great coach. I mean, he's unbelievable. And uh, I can relate to him because I rely a lot on my intelligence uh, and my study habits. And I'm not prejudiced, so meaning that when a guy is great, if an opponent is great, I'm looking at that greatness, and I'm going to try to do something to make him not so great. But I'm not going to always say, well, I am the greatest, and I can do anything I want to do. No, you can't, you can't do that because the difference between individuals can be very minute. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it isn't like one guy can just run over everybody, but it's like if you do what you're supposed to do, that one little opportunity might be the game-winning goal. Yeah, there's a, there's a ton of strategy. Did you... Did you think about and address losses differently than wins? That's a good point. You know, take a guy like you to bring that particular point up. Actually... <clears throat> well, I've lost a lot. Huh? I've lost a lot, so I'm always trying to learn. <laughs> well, hey, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, literally, I would say, for me, no. But if you look at the overall picture, there are times when you lose and you played individually great. Time when you win and you haven't played yeah. so great. Yeah. So sometimes winning or losing don't tell the story. That's right. It's a really good point. Okay, I thought that one might get you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've when I started getting a little bit more self-aware because I had very little of it in my twenties. I it dawned on me because I would take shots and I'd miss the corner by an inch, and I would get so aggravated by that one inch. But I would forget all the goals that I'd score where yeah. I'd go into a portion of the net where I wasn't aiming. Yeah, you know because yeah, when yeah, things yeah. go well and it's and yeah. we necessarily didn't produce it. We, right. we don't think about it as much. So it's a really interesting way to think about yeah. 
is like how did I perform regardless of winning and losing? And an example, when, when you guys were in the Cotton Bowl your senior year against Syracuse, you had one of the craziest games of all time. Yeah. Hundreds of yards, three touchdowns, you kicked three extra points. Like, yeah. And, and, uh, and you all lost that game. Yeah. So in that circumstance, how do you console your teammates? If, if like, is it? It's difficult, and I've seen a lot of athletes who play well when the team lose. They're in a difficult position. Yeah. Of leadership. Well, I'll tell you, uh, there's a reality to uh, performing, and uh, when you're dealing with a team sport, and you might be the captain or you might be the leader of that team you really concentrate, in my opinion, more on the weaker situations. And you try to take the weaker players and elevate them to a point where you get at least what you should get get out of them because that's pretty much the only way you're going to win. Hmm. It's not going to be you, you've, that you're so skillful you don't need anybody but one or two guys. That's not true. Sometimes you need every man to do the best he can do to pull out a tight game, to pull out a good game. And uh, so a lot of times I tried to motivate other players that I knew. If they were motivated, they could produce on a level that would be very helpful to us. Yeah. And uh, then there's sometimes when we're in a certain kind of a battle, I just had to really try to do things that were extraordinary. And so a lot of, of what I did was based upon the kind of team that we played, the situation of the, of, the, of the game, what I needed to do, what I needed not to do. And uh, it was almost like a chess game. And because of certain abilities, physical abilities and mental abilities, I could play a pretty good chess game and do the right thing at the right time. See, that's the key for me, to do the right thing at the right time. Yeah. And uh, I see great some great players, they're so good, but they don't do the right thing at the right time. And uh, it kind of nullifies, in my mind, their greatness. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I uh, was reading a book called The Captain's Class, and. Um, had the author on my podcast and he was studying some of the greatest teams of all time and it came down to their captain um, and oftentimes in the U.S. the captain or the leader on the team is also the best player yeah but when he was doing all this research he found that you're you're basically doing double duty because there's so much responsibility to your point to have that extraordinary moment during a game to lift the team yeah. and that requires a lot of self-focus and and execution yeah. But the best leaders in sports are also spending a lot of time on their teammates, to your point. Yeah, yeah. And so while he drew to example of, of European soccer, where you look at teams that have a Lionel Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo, and they're actually, aside from their national teams, they're not the captains of Barcelona and Real Madrid yeah. and Juventus. And Pele was never the captain because yeah. they said, Pele, you have enough pressure on you to perform every game. Like yeah. We want you at your best. So you're essentially taking on double the work, and they would always give captainship to a defender. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. But see, that depends upon the, the makeup of the team. Hmm. You know, I mean, so we agree. Yeah. Because uh, there's a time when uh, that makes all sense in the world. 
then there's a time when you need the best player to step up mm-hmm. because that's what these individuals around him are looking for. That's right. You know, so one has to be able to understand when something is important and when something is not important. And when you deal with the captain, that's a choice made by the coach. And we haven't talked about the coach, but the coach has a lot to do with the success of a lot of players, a lack of success. Because if you have a particular skill and he doesn't recognize it, and that skill could be highly productive from the standpoint of how you win or lose, and he's unaware of, of how to give you that particular kind of freedom, I was reading an article on Allen Iverson, and uh, he was a character at most, but tremendous skills. Unbelievable. And I listened to him talk, and the great thing about it, I think it was Larry Brown, I'm not sure that was his coach. I might be wrong on that. Larry had him for a few years, yeah. Okay, but he uh, seemed to understand, you know, Iverson. And that made a major difference. Hmm. That way that he talked about him and the way that he dealt with him, he didn't try to make him exactly like everybody else because Iverson was not the kind of guy that you could do that with. So he made certain adjustments in his coaching style and his coaching ability to uh, get the best out of Iverson. And I thought that I was so happy that he had that kind of flexibility because Iverson was just a special athlete, you know. Yeah, I found the best coaches in all sports all over the world are egoless in that they have, for the most part, the reason why they're at the highest level, they have a curriculum and they have a strategy that works. Uh, but what the variable is every year are who your players are on your team. And some coaches have a difficult time because their strategy works saying like, hey, this has worked before, even though they don't, the players they have at their disposal doesn't match that strategy. So the best coaches are, have the awareness to change their strategy based on who's in front of them, even if it's not the way that they liked to previously coach the game. And I think that's what you're calling out with Larry Brown and Allen Iverson is he may have had more of a, a five-on-five offense. But even take Phil Jackson. He, he installed a, a triangle offense, yeah. but he had originally done so looking at like how can we position Michael the best and then yeah. also how we can take advantage of having someone like Scotty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that that's... Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real chess game. And uh, you can think it's right and it might be wrong. I mean, mm. it's, it's not... What we're saying is intelligent, but then again, there'll be times when there's exceptions to our rule. Yeah, <laughs> yep. and that's that's what's so great about sport is like all of a sudden something happens you would just never would have expected. That's it right. Be. You know, all of a sudden you're not a genius anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so it puts you in your place. When I launched Shooting Up Podcast in 2017, I hired three employees. And if you're an all-time listener, you know the story evolved, as did the business, and we launched the Premier Lacrosse League in 2018, but the hiring of key people all remain the same. We're up to 50 now. And here's how you can escalate, too. ZipRecruiter allocates a personal recruiter to help you find a better job. They have the tech that can do that for you. Just download the ZipRecruiter job search app, let it know what kinds of jobs you're interested in, and its technology starts doing the work. 
The ZipRecruiter app finds jobs you'll like and puts your profile in front of employers who may be looking for someone like you. And if an employer likes your profile, ZipRecruiter lets you know. So if you're interested in that job, you can apply. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app. My listeners should download the free ZipRecruiter job search app today and let the power of tech work for you. Don't wait. The sooner you download the free ZipRecruiter job search app, the sooner it can help you find a better job, like working for the Premier Lacrosse League. A show sponsor today is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is offering free bacon for life. Sign up now and you'll get one package of the best tasting bacon free in every box for the life of your subscription. That bacon is Whole30 approved. It's uncured, nitrate, and sugar-free. ButcherBox makes it easy to get high-quality meat that you can trust. It's delivered 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage-breed pork, wild Alaskan salmon, all really healthy and quality meats, which when you talk about protein, that's important that you're getting the right product in your system so the results occur appropriately. The box comes with at least 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual size meals. That takes you through the month. If you're an athlete, go for it. It's incredibly convenient. It's affordable. The price is just $129 a month, which works out to less than $6 a meal. And you're spending that at the grocery store minus the convenience. And shipping is free nationwide. Now, to get this deal, you can receive $20 off your first box and a package of free bacon in every box for the life of your subscription by going to butcherbox.com forward slash Rabel and then enter Rabel at checkout. That's butcherbox.com forward slash Rabel and enter R-A-B-I-L at checkout. Enjoy. I, wanted, I do want to touch on uh, the leadership on the field has taken place in a very magnanimous way off of it. And uh, we're sitting in a room with your 2014 Humanitarian Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, the Muhammad Ali Award, um, who you built a strong relationship with uh, among uh, many other people uh, during your time as an athlete and beyond. But even as an athlete with the Browns, um, you know, you helped establish the Black Economic Unit Union. Um, you were always working on um, helping others get opportunity, uh, be it through uh, the workplace, even folks who uh, were in a part of inner city gangs or folks who were incarcerated. Um, when, when did that become a moment for you that you could say, hey, even though I'm playing, I can impact the world beyond just what I'm doing on the field? I was from birth... And I don't want to sound arrogant or, or whatever, but from birth, I was born into a situation where I had no choice. Uh, I didn't really have a father, which uh, can be very impactful. Uh, my mother was very young, and she wasn't there in the beginning. My great-grandmother was my mama, and it was in a southern town, St. Simon's Island, Georgia. And uh, I had the, the option of looking at my circumstances and giving up because they weren't that good. I loved my great-grandmother, and, you know, she did everything that she could do, but, you know, not having a father, having my mother be away as a domestic in Great Neck, Long Island, uh, that support system wasn't really there. 
in a normal sense. But for some reason, I hung in there. And by hanging in there, it, I developed an attitude about success that was unbelievable. I mean, I was born to say, I'll get after it, you know. Hmm. I'm not going to give up, I'll give after it. You know, you're going to have to put me out. Because here was this little kid down in from St. Simons, not supposed to be nothing, you know. Hmm. I ended up in Manassas High School, one of the richest schools in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Living in Great Neck, one of the highest for capital areas in the country, and having some great people step up into my life. Hmm. And uh, so I developed this attitude of appreciation to those who helped me and a loyalty to those who helped me. Kenny Malloy, who was a businessman in Manhasset, Ed Walsh, a high school coach, uh, those people, Dr. Collins, superintendent of high school, those people reached out and saw talent in me hmm. and encouraged me and supported me. And man, that, that, that was like kryptonite, you know. You know what kryptonite is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <was> Superman. <laughs> uh, Ken, Ken Malloy helped get you into your first year at Syracuse. Absolutely, absolutely. And they were, uh, for some reason, had decided not didn't, to give you a scholarship. Didn't and you want said, well, me. I'll, I'll, I'll make this work. Yeah, didn't want me. But he wanted me to go there, so he pulled the strings yeah. and uh, made them take me, huh. pretty much. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know at the time, but when I got up there, all the athletes were staying in a place called Collindale, and they put me in a place called Skytop. So I didn't know about what that meant, but I almost quit. Hmm. And uh, when Malloy got to me and got through talking to me, there wasn't any quit in me. I went on back and hmm. applied myself, and it came out, you know, very, very well. It was one of the great life lessons. Having having been through uh, and and heavily participated for the greater good of our country and the impact of the world, the civil rights movement, and then some of the the work that you're doing today, as we had mentioned, um, what are what are ways that we can continue to help uh, push for uh, the greater good of equality? And I think empathy is is a big piece too, um, not to get caught in the uh, you know the mechanics of, of what is equal is recognizing the the circumstances that people are up against, and that's part of what your foundation does as well. Is is you take the view that members of inner city gangs and people who are felons uh, were never given the right management, life skills, or personal growth opportunity, and so that's why you all do that. So how how can we help? Well, that's a great way of, of, of uh, putting it. I'm uh, 83 years old at this particular time. So at 83, I recognize that that's, that's kind of old, okay? <laughs> but I still have something left. Oh, yeah. But being 83 and still having my faculties, 
it puts me in a beautiful position because all those years that I thought I could save the world, I found out that I couldn't save the world, but I could be a better human being myself. And by being a better human being, I affected those around me. And the second part of that was that I would then help others who needed help. And it didn't put pressure on me to become some great leader uh, dealing with thousands of people. But everything that I could touch and everything that I could do would be durable and consistent. And it was just that simple as I walked among those individuals and they saw how I carried myself and what I, the caring I had for them, not love, caring. Caring is a different word. Hmm. Uh, it made a difference. So as I sit here with you today, we have a genuine, different, uh, genuine way of change, saying we have changed certain things because those individuals that I've been able to touch have gone on to touch others and to demonstrate that uh, they were not lost when everybody thought that they were lost because that curriculum, that te those teaching methodologies that we use, all that have been effective over the years. But what the disappointment was, I thought that if I came up with something that good, the world would just flock to it. Hmm. But that's not true. But I found that if I carried myself and I did the best I could do and help others, that that would be okay. Hmm. That's powerful stuff. I, I appreciate you, you sharing that. It, it brings us back to just focusing on what we can do and how we can impact day to day. And it's, a, it's an interesting juxtaposition in that we want to uh, take on the world, whether you're a young athlete and <laughs> want to be the, the next greatest player or, or a, a young entrepreneur or even, a, even a, an older entrepreneur. It's, it's uh, one day at a time. We have to remind ourselves that. But. Absolutely. But think about it. Uh, as an individual, if you carry yourself the way you should and if you help others, man, that's big factor and it computes because when I sit here now and the young men come up that were real strong gang members and they had an attitude that was unbelievable and they risked death hmm. by carrying guns and getting in, 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 in gunfights but right now I can trust them with everything I have and they wouldn't touch a thing and they can sit down and feel so great that we came together because the life that they live now is so much different than what they, what they thought it would be. And uh, they feel pride and caring and respect. And uh, we don't have to get endorsed by anybody. Hmm. See, that's one of the things about being an activist. You're looking for endorsement looking for uh, praise. Well, you grow past that when you really get into helping people change their lives. So many people out there help other people, and nobody ever knows. Hmm. 
but the people they help, you know, but that resonates so well because you help one person, that isn't just that one person that can be affected, affected. It's a whole system that can be affected as that continues. So I'm not talking about any uh, unrealistic things that we have to do. I'm simplifying it to saying that if you're a citizen in this country and you want to help, look at yourself, analyze yourself, and be the best person you can be. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you can do it to your capacity. It doesn't have to be 500 guys marching on Washington. It can be just somebody that you sat down with, gave it, gave them a little wisdom and gave them encouragement, and they went on to become successful. Multiply that, and there it is. You know, it's not complicated. Wow. Thank you for listening to the show this week. You can continue the conversation with me on social media. My Twitter is at Paul Rabel as is my Instagram. You can be the first to listen to future episodes as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with our first guest ever, New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, Team USA women's soccer captain Julie Foudy, go Team USA, and NBA star Jeremy Lin, who's playing in the NBA Finals right now, just to name a few. You can find all these episodes and more on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. There's a shortcut to our show notes, athlete lists, news, and headlines at suitinguppodcast.com. And shout out to our show sponsors today, ZipRecruiter Away and ButcherBox. Be sure to support them the way that you've so graciously supported this show. Lastly, give me a rating and review on Apple Pods if you're still listening. It helps the show grow. Thank you very much, and I look forward to talking to you next week.